Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him.
Please take a seat. More instructions? Okay. All right. Well, good morning from me. Thanks for having me. Um, some of you know me. Most of you don't know me, but perhaps you can hear from the accent that I'm not from around here. Um, actually grew up in Germany, and um, as such, I have some uh, German quirks. Uh, <laughs> The, the one that will come out most is probably that I am rather straightforward with what I think, and, but I think that's okay for a men's conference. I um, hope you won't get offended. Uh, if you look at my topic, God at Work, um, I think it's fair to say that most of us don't have a problem with the idea that God has been working. Right? So if you look at creation, if you go for a bushwalk, if you look up at the galaxy at night, um, I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, most of us probably would say, yep, God is creator, he has been working. Um, and I think we probably could all say amen to that. And I imagine that most of us also would agree that God has been working when it comes to salvation. Right? Um, both in what Jesus did on the cross but also individually how you, yourself, came to follow him. That's something he needed to work out, right? It's nothing that we could do, and we would not come to him on our own initiative, right? So without him being at work. So I think we probably could all more or less agree that God has been at work in creation and salvation, right? Um, but here comes the German, um, to, to be brutally honest, um, that's not really my problem. The question is not, has God been working, but whether God is working, at least to me. Is he actually around? Are we left to our own devices? Um, do I have to work it out all alone? Or maybe I have to sit it out till heaven? Um, and of course, as a good Christian, I think, um, and I'm a Bible teacher, and that doesn't mean I'm a good Christian, but I think we all know the right answer. The right answer is, yes, God is working. He's always working. And uh, I'm sure of that because, you know, Jesus says that himself in John 5, 17. Right? So I know that's the right, proper Christian answer. Um, God is always working. Um, but to be honest, it just doesn't feel like that most of the time. If I, you, you wait, um, hold your horses. Um, if, you look at the, if I look at the world around me, it doesn't look often like that, that God is at work. It looks more like he stepped out for a smoko. Um, if I look at society, and you can look at society in Australia and other places, if I look at politics, if I look at corruption, if I look at the exploitation of people, the environment, the injustice, uh, the poverty, uh, people ruled by greedy, angry men, if I look at those things, the rampant grog and ice addiction just up the road, the domestic violence, if I look at all those things, um, and you know, you can list them, and it gets ever more depressing, um, if I look at those things, I wonder, it doesn't really feel like God is at work. Um, but again, to be honest, that's not really what irks me most when I think about God being at work. It's not the world around me. My bigger question is about when I look at myself. Because it often it feels like God isn't working there neither, yeah? Uh, often do I feel 
alone when it comes to following Jesus? How often do I feel inadequate? Or, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of my own failings, and, you know, I keep wondering whether I'm left alone with all of this, whether God is really here and working with me. And my cynical self thinks, I have a cynical self, perhaps I got this all wrong. Maybe God is only in the business of making the sunshine on wedding days and giving you that perfect parking spot if you just need it. You know? That's my cynical self, right? And, you know, and I can see some of you think the same thing. I see that hand, brother. Um, um, right? um, I told you the German is strong. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying these things out loud because I think, you know, God can take it and he knows my thoughts from afar. Psalm 139, right? Um, So I might as well be honest about it and work myself to a point of resolution, work that out. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning, what I want to tackle this morning from the scriptures, um, this question why we don't see God at work out there or in here more. And um, my suspicion is that we are perhaps looking at things the wrong way, um, that we perhaps get something wrong. And my hope and desire is that we actually come to see God at work more in us. Um, Because, again, to be honest, because Christianity is not a make-believe, do-it-yourself, God helps those who help themselves kind of thing. That's not what Christianity is. It's the opposite. So if there is a disconnect between my experience and what Jesus says, then I have two options. One, I got something wrong. Or two, this whole thing is a scam. Right? And needless to say, before I go and blame God about, you know, I, I might perhaps want to think about what, what I have gotten wrong, what I perhaps have misunderstood. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that we have misunderstood perhaps something. Right? And again, I want to warn you a bit because um, I'm going into some pretty deep stuff. And I will question perhaps some of the things that you have learned. So you should be on your toes, that's a good thing, be on your toes, right? Ask those questions, Um, and I hope I can address them as we go along. So what I want to do is, I want to look at Jesus, how Jesus is at work, how God is at work, and uh, particularly I want to go uh, take a little bit of a tour through the Gospel of John um, to see what God, what Jesus has to say about this topic of God being at work. Um, And I hope we get to a place that will make an impact on us and answer some of our questions. So if you would, uh, could you turn to John 5? We will eventually end up in John 14, but I want to walk there first. So if you turn to John 5. So we're clear what we're doing. I want to look at how God is at work in order to answer these very German questions that I have. (laughs) Um, So John 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. All right, that's the context. Let's read on. 
Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, is the, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he, was not, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Stop for a second. Jesus did a pretty big miracle. We know the story. Uh, at least to our standards, is a pretty big miracle. Um, he healed a man who had been sick for 38 years. So to me, that's a pretty big deal. He heals the man. But when it comes to Jesus, you know, you would think there's nothing too outrageous here, right? God is working. Jesus is working. Jesus is doing the God thing. The man is healed. Not sure how this is helping my question. But read on. Verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives, to them, gives them life, so that also the Son gives life to whom he will. Go back to verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. The Son can do nothing. Jesus, who just healed a person, says he can do nothing of his own accord. In fact, what you just saw, so as to say, that was the Father at work. It wasn't me. It wasn't Jesus on his own. It was the Father, truly, truly. Maybe Jesus was being modest here, or maybe this is about his divinity. Well, if you read on in this chapter... He repeats this and underlines it. If you go down to verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Again, I can do nothing. This is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God talking, yeah? It's not a small print thing either, right, that he sort of just hides away. He emphasizes this. Is that how we think about Jesus? He can do nothing? That's what I have learned in Sunday school. Jesus can do all things. He's doing miracles because he's God, right? That's what we learn in Sunday school. But if you listen to Jesus himself, you hear something else. Maybe we got something wrong. And I'm suggesting to you we have. Well, let's go on because this is a pretty big theme in John. 
how is Jesus at work then? Uh, if you flick over to chapter 8, um, and I'm not going to read the whole context, but if you study it later, you'll see how these two pas passages link. Um, if you go to chapter 8, verse 28, 8.28, we hear, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So here again, I do nothing on my own authority. If you study this passage, you will see it's that Jesus' works, that his miracles, are proof of God the Father being at work. In 5.19, he says, I can do nothing on my own accord. In 5.30, he says, I can do nothing. In 8.28, he says, I do nothing on my own authority. And this goes on like this in John. Right? Not small print stuff. But you might think, hang on, hang on, hang on. What about those miracles? Jesus did those, didn't he? After all, that's the proof that he is God. Well, it seems to me that what he is saying is that he actually didn't do those, at least not on his own. Otherwise, he says to himself, his testimony wouldn't be sufficient. He seems to claim that he can do nothing without the Father. Go to chapter 9. You were wondering about miracles. Chapter 9 is a story of the blind man who gets healed with the mud on the eye. So I once was blind, now I can see that guy. Right? Um, and, you know, the, the Jews don't believe him. He goes to the council, they interrogate him. And look what he says in John 9, 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they don't believe him. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, this is a pretty big theme in the Gospel of John. And every word in the sentence matters. This man were not from God, he could do nothing. What about raising the dead? Jesus is God, right? He should be able to do the same, to, to that sort of thing on his own, right? On his own steam. Well, flick over to John 11. And I read a bit more here to get the context. Uh, John uh, 11, this is the raising of Lazarus, also a familiar story. But pay attention to what Jesus says here. So I start in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to, them, I know, said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, uh, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept, him, kept this man from dying? You see how this is all linked, these topics? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And here it comes. Pay attention, the thing we often overread. They took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying this, praying this out loud, and has John write it down later so that you take note who is behind this miracle. And of course, Lazarus gets raised. So Jesus and John clearly want us to see that the works Jesus is doing are something that the Father is doing. It is God at work. So if you look at Jesus' works, you are not to conclude that Jesus is doing this in his own power. It's not Jesus at work. What you're looking at, it's the Father at work in, through, and with him. And if you move forward now in John, to John 14, the passage you heard read, read earlier, Jesus teaches this himself explicitly, right? If you look over this passage in John 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You see, the explanation for what Jesus is, what, what Jesus is doing is not that Jesus is the Son of God and that he can do amazing things. And that's, I think, what we're getting wrong. The explanation for how Jesus does what he does is that the Father is with him and the Father is at work in and through him. That's why Jesus says, 
that he can do nothing on his own accord. That's why he prays before raising Lazarus out loud. That's what the blind man says, and that's what he says himself. I can do nothing. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, he's not talking about his divinity here. Don't get me wrong, in case you get worried. Jesus is 100% divine. Right? He is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But the explanation for Jesus doing miracles is not that Jesus is doing this in his own strength. The explanation is that the Father dwells in him and does his thing. The explanation is that God is at work in and through Jesus. And that's why he says what he says in verse 12. Did you notice verse 12? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. That should be one of the most heavily underlined verses in your Bible, and it should also be one of the most unbelievable verses in your Bible. Greater works than Jesus? Jesus is saying this to his followers, those who believe in him, that they would do the same or greater works than he. You see, if Jesus was dipping into his God powers, if he did all those miracles, you know, um, how, can, how can he expect me and you do greater things? How can I ever do what Jesus did? Yeah, the bracelet. Um, he's the son of God unfair advantage how can i be more christ-like he is christ <laughs> is jesus of his rocker does he not understand that we are mere humans that we can't raise dead people we can't walk on water we can't multiply bread he was he wants us to do greater things but you see the explanation for these miracles is not that Jesus used his God powers. That he whooped out his God wand, right? Did a little miracle, that he used the God magic, and he doubtlessly could because he is the Son of God. No, the explanation is that the Father is doing his work through Jesus. The explanation is that Jesus, as a man, as a human being, and only as a human being, fully depending on God, the Father, does this in such a way that the Father is able to work in and through him. While he fully depends 100% on the Father, which is why he says, I can do nothing on my own accord. And this is, I think, what Jesus teaches in John, what he teaches here in John 14. He says it himself. That's the culmination of what you see in chapter 5, in chapter 8, in chapter 9, in chapter 11. Here in chapter 14, 10, he says, the Father who dwells in me does his works. In 8.28, I don't know if you remember this still, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I'm he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. In other words, in John 8, Jesus is predicting that after the crucifixions, the disciples will realize how Jesus worked, how he operated. 
as a man in full dependence on the Father, and that it is the Father doing his work in and through Jesus. So that the works, the miracles, are the proof of what Jesus taught, that what he taught and what he said was true. Right? So the, the miracles are the God's stamp of approval on Jesus. But it is God doing his thing, God approving Jesus. And I'm 100% sure that this is the teaching of the scripture because that is exactly what Peter teaches at Pentecost as Jesus predicts in John 8, 28. So if you flick over to Acts 2.22, the sermon that he preaches under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, he starts out in Acts 2.22 saying, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And then he goes on. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Peter finally got it. God was at work in and through Jesus. You see, Jesus models to us what it means to be a true human, a true man. A man is designed to fully depend on God. A man says, I can do nothing. I only do what I see the Father doing. And Peter, who now got it, turns around and does exactly the same thing. Right? In Acts 3.6, what's the first thing he does? Paralyzed man at the gate? What does he say? I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He understood something. And, and by the way, um, side note, this is why the miracles that Jesus did do not directly prove that he is divine. Right? That's what we learn in Sunday school. But you see, Peter did miracles. Paul did miracles. Elijah did miracles. Moses did miracles. That doesn't make them divine, does it? And that's exactly what Jews and Muslims and Jehovah's Witness will tell you. Just because they do miracles, that's not a sign of divinity. And it isn't. But if you do a miracle, the miracle of God's stamp of approval, that what they stand for and what they say is 100% true, and Jesus claims divinity, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. And the miracle says, yes, he is right. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. At least, at that very least, believe the miracles, believe the works. And I know this might seem strange and newish, and you're thinking, I don't know. You still might be skeptical. But I think the progression you can see in John is pretty strong, right? From John 5 up to 14. And I think Acts 2.22 is pretty strong. Um, and there's more, a final argument I want to give you, um, and there are more because this is really the center of Paul's theology as well. Um, Think of the temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Satan, he's not an idiot. Jesus is led in the desert by the Holy Spirit. This is done on purpose. Jesus is led there by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And Satan isn't an idiot. Um, Satan is fully aware of the fact that Jesus is divine. Since you are the son of God. And so what is he doing? 
Satan is trying to get Jesus to do something independent from God. Jesus, since you're the son of God, you, you, can, you can make some bread. You know, you, you do have that God one, don't you? Um, you? You know, why don't you make some dinner? You know, you see those stones. Why don't you use your divine power and make some bread? You can sort your human hunger problem out easily. That's a temptation to Jesus. What does Jesus do in response? He quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And man fully depends on God the Father. And in the moment man doesn't fully depend on God the Father and does his own thing, life ends. Right? We've seen it in Adam. And so as a man, Jesus remains fully dependent on the Father. That's what makes Jesus truly a man. That's what it means to be a man, truly a man. Full dependence on God. And Satan tries to sever this dependence by making Jesus do something on his own steam. And thereby would have disqualified him as truly a man. And by the way, the, the temptation is a fantastic passage. Right? Because unless Jesus was fully God and fully man, there would be no temptation at all. It's one of the strongest passages you can go to with your Jehovah's Witness neighbor. Because there is no temptation if Jesus was only God. I mean, what has, you know, he wouldn't be hungry, really, and what does, you know, what does, what does Satan have to offer it anyway? You, know, you can't tempt God. Right? But it's also not a temptation if Jesus is only a man because you and I, we can't make bread. So if I rocked up to you and said, well, you know, you know, why don't you make some bread out of these stones? Well, I was like, well, <laughs> nice try, buddy, but no, nah, I can't do that. Right? So it's not a temptation at all. So Jesus must be fully divine and fully human to be able for this temptation to work at all. Um, in any case, I digressed. Let me recap. And uh, there's a slide with a picture somewhere. Um, Jesus doesn't do um, stuff out of his own like he doesn't do the miracles from his own steam with his own God power he lets the Father work in and through him as the scriptures teach um, Jesus thereby shows us what it means to be fully a man that a human being as God intends human beings to be fully depend on God so that the Father can work in and through him so if you look at Jesus while on earth, you would see, and that's exactly what he says in John 14, you would see the Father, because the Father is working in and through him. But it's not about his divinity, that's about his humanity. So if you look at Jesus, you would see God at work. Inasmuch as if you looked at Adam before the fall, you would have seen what God was like, created in the image of God. Right? Now, I think we have seen something, that Jesus as a man does nothing apart from the Father. And in this, we can see what it means to be truly a human being, a being that fully depends on God. So Jesus, who is the second man, shows us what God, shows us what God wants men to be. So, what do we do with this information? Um, you might still want to think through it, but how does this matter? How does it help us with our question that I asked earlier? Well, Jesus himself teaches us what to do with this. If you just flick over to John 15, right? the chapter right after all the culmination of this whole teaching, 
You know John 15 by heart, most likely. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And that, by the way, is a claim to divinity. Uh, Jesus in John 5 and in John 8 and John 11 says the same thing. He says that I can do nothing apart from the Father. In chapter 15, he turns that around and says you can do nothing because you as a human are in the same boat. A human means that you need to depend. We can do nothing apart from him. Just like he as a man can do nothing apart from the Father. I think I have another picture maybe. Do I? Yeah. So he turns that around. He, as a true man, the prototype man, as the one who has come to show us what God wants man to be, he models to us what it means to fully depend on God. And that is precisely why the disciples and you and I can do greater things. Right? Because Jesus, by his spirit, is at work in and through you. And that's why Jesus, by the way, must be divine, because otherwise salvation would not work. Right? And that's why the Jehovah's Witnesses get completely wrong. Jesus must come to us. He must be in you, and you must fully depend on him, abide in him for you to have any life, for you to function as a true man, for you to bear fruit at all. So the explanation for Jesus' life and ministry is that God dwelt in Jesus and that God the Father was at work in him. That's the explanation for his life. Now the expectation for you and I is that Jesus the God-man by his spirit dwells in you and is at work in you because that is life and salvation. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who is living in me. So salvation, life, is Christ in you, the one who is life, according to John 11.25. The Son of God at work in you, bringing about in you life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. So without Jesus, Christianity, salvation in the here and now, salvation in you does not work. Have you discovered that? Without Jesus at work in us, well, there's no work. There's no life. That's subhuman, less than what God wants. That's not what God had in mind for uh, mankind. So, and that's the reason why you and I don't see God at work more in us and in the world because we are so sporadic, half-hearted about depending on him and abiding in him. Yeah? If I don't see God at work, most of the time it's because I don't depend, I don't obey, I don't abide, 
I don't give Jesus the space to live and work in and through me. Because I have whooped out my man wand and I do things my way on my own steam. But Jesus teaches, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know if what you think about John 15:5. I think we can do lots of things without God. Right? We can make really big messes. <laughs> he didn't teach that we could not do anything. He said that we can do nothing. Anything and nothing is not the same. We can do lots without depending on God, but anything we do without him sooner or later amounts to what? Nothing, right? So true fruit comes from truly depending. Good fruit comes only from the good one living in and through you. You cannot, in your own strength, produce contentment. You cannot produce peace Self-control, joy, that comes from God being at work in you. So if I don't see God at work, if I find myself doing nothing, when I don't see greater works, or in fact when I don't see any works, well, that's not because, has God, because God has stopped working. That's because I effectively don't let him work in and through me. We, the church, often don't let work, God work. We don't love. We don't allow him to love through us. And you see in John 14, that's where he ends, Jesus. He talks about love. And this doesn't have to be all depressing, by the way. It's also liberating, if you think about that for a moment. Because if apart from you can do nothing is true, and I certainly think it is, that's my experience of Christianity, uh, because I've tried to make Christianity work, and um, it doesn't work. There are no seven steps to sanctification. I've tried. It doesn't work. So I find true what Jesus... I find this thoroughly and brutally German, true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's my experience. But that's liberating to some extent because I don't have to try anymore to make something work in my own strength. It's not my job because I can't. So if I fail, that's because you know I'm trying something I wasn't supposed to do. I cannot be a better man on my own strength. It's impossible. My feelings of inadequacy and insecurity and weakness, all those things, well, that's real. And it's okay. Because that's how I should feel when I try to do things on my own steam. And so this is liberating because I, you know, all this then drives me to him. I can't. Well, he certainly can and must be the one who lives in and through me. So this is a kind of a symbiosis, right? The father through the son, and now the son through me and you. That's life, that's salvation. Full and total dependence. All life is dependence. But that means, and I'm almost done, I have one task. I have one job, and that's the job he says in John 15. My job, your job, is to abide, stick with, remain close to Jesus, trust and obey. There's no other way. That's true. So stop trying other ways, right? especially your own way. Let me just uh, read this from John 6. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, depend on him, rely on him, abide in him whom he has sent. And that is our job, our work. Complete and full dependence on Jesus who works in and through you. And the one way where this is seen best is in our love for one another. See, that's where he goes in John 14, right? Our love for God, our love for his son, our love for the ones that God loves. And if you act on this, if you allow God to love through you, guess what? You'll see more of God at work. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all what we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And we all say, Amen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>